0: So we've uh, been in a series for a long time, Heaven Prep Academy, Prepare for Heaven, Flourish Now. Um, but as we, it's really on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' most extensive teaching in the New Testament, the longest section of his teaching, and really the idea being like, hey, this is how you're going to live if you want to be the kinds of people who fit comfortably into heaven, and the kinds of people who have spiritual flourishing now here in this place. But as we kept going through it, I, I, I kept being like, you know, there's a problem. And the problem is, is that we have such a, an anemic view of heaven in the contemporary church. Uh, most of us have not really thought about it much. If we have, we kind of have some sort of like, you know, unicorns and riding on a unicorn down a rainbow and like playing the harp. I mean, really, that's kind of that's what our culture sort of, I guess, has for heaven and it's a shame because uh, the scriptures are just replete; they're filled with descriptions of what heaven is like and 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 the way that it it works and 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 how it is. And what's really the, here's the thing: so I, I am I, I'm looking for buy-in, throwing my cards on the table. I really want us to be a people who are fully invested in heaven, um, and that means living the way Jesus lives, being transformed uh, according to His way. And in order to do that, we really have to have a sense of what we're investing in. It's like, it can't just be this, uh, this pie in the sky, whatever. We gotta have a really solid understanding of where we're investing, where our hope is, where our life is, where our future is. And to that end, ooh, heaven is a place on earth. Belinda Carlisle, anybody? I mean, I felt good. What? Shut up and play bass. Oh, sorry. Okay, well, all right. I love you. Uh, So the question then is, uh, you know, what, what is heaven really like? What's heaven really like? Um, is it the unicorn rainbow fantasy, or is it something uh, much different? And in order to answer that question, we're going to journey through. Really, we're going to be focused on uh, one of the most famous texts about heaven from Revelation twenty-one. But we're going to look at a whole bunch of other texts that help us to understand what Revelation twenty-one is really trying to communicate, what's trying to say. And so, uh, let's begin just by reading uh, Revelation twenty-one one to four to get a sense of uh, of heaven. This is John, um, who knew Jesus. He's exiled. He's living on island, and he has this vision, and part of the vision is this, he says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the former heaven and the former earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from heaven, uh, out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud voice from the throne say, behold, or look, God's home is here with humanity. He will live with them. They will be his people's. God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. There will be no more mourning, crying, or pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And at first blush, that really does sound like, you know, la la land. Right, it sounds like oh, you know, there's like a, there's a city that's falling out of the sky, and you know we've got no, there's no more pain or death. Uh, God is now living with people. I mean, it sounds like a fantasy, right? And so it sounds like it, it's easy to understand why we might imagine God with an old beard sitting on the clouds and us with him, you know, in golden light everywhere. We can understand that; it makes sense, unless, unless, and until we begin actually looking at the text and beginning to understand them. And so let's do that. The very very first thing I want to highlight there, a new heaven and a new earth. For the former heaven and the former earth had passed away. Sounds like uh, this whole new uh, world, like, you know, the world that we know is completely different. And, and what we've experienced here is just wiped off the map, erased, and something brand new takes its place. I want to push against that view a little bit. I'm going to say that that's not right. Okay, And to do so, I want us to look um, for a second at uh, something that, that we get from Peter. This is in Second Peter. This is where Peter's talking about the new heaven and the earth, new earth. You'll see that at the very bottom of this text. He says, "...but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. On that day the heavens will pass away with a dreadful noise. The elements will be consumed by fire. And the earth and all the works done on it will be exposed." Because of that day, the heavens will be destroyed by fire. The elements will melt away in the flames. But according to his promise, we are waiting for a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness is at home. Oof. That's scary. I mean, you get that? Like, the elements are going to melt away. Elements in the ancient world. Uh, the ancient world, they didn't have physics like we have physics. But they had their own kind of Physics. Uh, based on the work of uh, Aristotle and other Greek philosophers. And so you, you get that word, elements, uh, the stoicheia. It's, it's the fundamental particles. It's the fundamental stuff out of which everything's made. Okay? Uh, and, and for the ancient peoples, it was, there were four important ones. There's earth, air, water, and fire. And so the ancient peoples thought, of, according to this view of physics, that if you just cut things up enough, you would recognize that everything was built out of earth, air, water, and fire. And there's nothing else that, that made up stuff in the universe. And so if you're listening to what Peter says, then you should be really confused. Because how is it that fire is going to destroy, among other things, fire? This should be very weird to you, because you know that everything's made out of earth, air, uh, fire, and water, and yet somehow, fire, the heavens are going to be destroyed by fire, and the elements will melt away in the flames. That makes no sense according to ancient physics. It would be like if we said something like, um, you know, and then, then the super atom will consume all the atoms. Be like, what? And all the atoms will be wiped away by the atoms. Like, uh, that doesn't make sense. You can't wipe something away with it. And I think what's going on there is Peter's trying to, to draw our attention to the notion that, um, that, yeah, there's, there's gonna be stuff in the new heaven. It's just gonna be different. Okay? Uh, whatever, whatever's going on, there will be a wiping away of stuff, but, Notice it's by other stuff. It's not as though matter ends. The building blocks of matter are still there. There's a different—it's different, it's new, because it has to be somehow different, otherwise fire couldn't wipe away fire. But there is something physical and something real and, and tangible about the next life. Heaven is not a place that's like, woo up in the air. Heaven is a place that's made out of stuff. Different stuff, but stuff nonetheless. This, this new fire that will consume, this new fire that can melt the elements away. Well, it's, it's, it's still stuff. It's still the stuff out of, out of which things are made. It's still matter. That's the first thing in your note sheets. It's that heaven is a physical place, but it's made of different matter with different possibilities. Um, the point of that is, is to recognize that, you know, when we we think about heaven as as a, as a place, we 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 often think of it as something far away, something intangible, something that doesn't really have like a, a stuffness to it, a matterness to it. We imagine that we're floating around with wings or whatever, but that's not the vision that Peter casts. He says, "Yeah, the stuff that we know is going to get wiped away, but it's still going to be stuff that does it. There's going to be matter, and because it's new kinds of matter, new things can happen." Let's go back to uh, to Revelation. Oh, right. Let's look at that mustard seed. That's a mustard seed uh, underneath a mustard tree. Um, one of the ways that uh, the Bible tries to help, con- help us conceive of this is to say, hey, if you, if, if, I, if you don't say you knew nothing about biology or botany or anything like that, right, and, and someone walked up to you and said, hey, here's this cool little seed. Look at this neat thing. If you knew nothing about biology or botany or, you know, farming or anything like that, you'd be like, okay, that's neat. What about it? And then you said, well, hey, check it out. We're going to put this in the ground. We're going to water it. And then, boom, there's going to be this incredible tree that that, that 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 grows up. You'd be like, mm, no, that makes no sense. Uh, how could something so small lead to something so large? How could something that— um, has no, has no uh, value at all, becomes something that could, could have incredible value. And yet, we know from our experience that that actually happens. We know that if you put a mustard seed in the ground and you add water and this, that, and the other thing over, over t- science, if you add science to it, it will grow up into a tree. Okay? Similarly, if someone asked you, well, okay, so you know, heaven, it's not going to be this stuff, but it's going to be some other kind of stuff. Well, well th- I can't tell you exactly what it'll be like because it's presumably behind, beyond human comprehension. Otherwise, I mean, Peter's words would have been different. But it, it probably follows the same kind of, 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 of change, transformation, where something very small leads to something very big. Something valueless leads to something with great value. It, it's, there's a change there that happens. But notice that C, and trees are both things. Stuff. In the same way, the heavenly world that we're going to enter that will come down is going to be a place with stuff. Now let's go back to Revelation. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the former heaven and the former earth had passed away. And the chaotic sea was no more. When I was growing up in this church, I was told that there would be no ocean in heaven uh, because of this verse, um, our uh, our lead pastor at the time, Arch, was convinced that there would be uh, no no uh, no sea in heaven. For those of you who've uh, who've ever surfed, you know that that's ridiculous because there could not be any kind of glorious experience that did not include surfing. And that's true. No, it's not probably not true. You pro- there probably could be a glorious existence that does not involve surfing. But, but. I want to push back against that. That's why I've added in brackets, chaotic. In the ancient world, um, the, the sea of the ocean was a very dangerous place. Uh, most people couldn't swim. In fact, most people um, were afraid of the sea. In fact, if you think about all the times that the sea or the ocean gets mentioned in the Bible, you'll notice that almost always it's something really negative and scary. Right, like uh, you know, Jonah's out on the on the water, and suddenly this big storm comes, and they throw him overboard. He gets eaten by a whale. I mean, stuff like that, or Jesus is is you know taking a nap, and suddenly the storm comes up, and the disciples are all going to get capsized, and they're scared. That happens over and over. Uh, God talks about Leviathan and Job, like the sea monster. This because the sea is the place where people die. In the ancient world, they don't have like you know. Aircraft carriers that can't get tipped over by uh, by giant waves. Although I guess from, I mean, I guess you probably could. The ocean's pretty powerful. I know this. Uh, there was one time when I was surfing, and uh, I got tossed pretty bad. And I was sort of somersaulting under the water at Huntington. And uh, I couldn't tell which way was up. And I knew that um, I had been underwater for a long time because, like, my there was like this blackness coming over my vision. So I was like, oh, this is bad. <laughs> and, uh, and, I, and I recognized that, wow, right now, I don't have a lot of um, p- power or agency to control what's going to happen to me. And then I, I popped up and I <sighs> got some air, smashed by another wave, repeat the cycle. But then I came up a second time, and this time I have stayed up, and <sighs> breathing air, and I'm excited about it. And then I was like, wow, this is fun. What well, I mean, obviously it's not fun it's terrifying, and yet isn't it interesting how, in our experience, there's something about danger or risk that kind of contributes to enjoyment or thrill well if we if we take this um'll tell you what. Let's, let's look at the next—let's let, let, see what, uh, what, what Paul has to say uh, uh, about this. This is from Romans 8, 19 and 21. So Paul talking about the new heavens and the new earth, what it's going to be like. And he says this, The whole creation waits breathless with anticipation for the revelation of God's sons and daughters. Creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice. It was the choice of the one who subjected it, God. But in the hope that the creation itself will be set free from slavery to decay— And brought into the glorious freedom of God's children. It's one of my favorite texts in the New Testament. What Paul is saying is he's saying, right now, everything that's been made in this whole place is looking at us, anyone who's believed, and is jealous. Jealous because right now, anyone who's believed in Christ has the possibility, the opportunity to, to be free, to grow up into Christ, to become like Christ, to be conformed to the image of God himself. That's the freedom of God's children. We we have that, and the whole creation looks and is jealous, saying, I want that too, and is looking forward to the day, heaven, when that's actually going to happen. The creation itself will be set free from slavery to decay. Every experience that we have of the natural world, we have to recognize that it's tinged by something that's Fallen, broken, messed up. That all, um, it's part of the world that we experience. In fact, we can't even really imagine the world without it. And yet, in a very real way, that's what John's saying when he says there's no more sea. You know, if you think of C as, as a symbol for that which is corrupted or broken or decayed or dangerous and risky and terrorizing in the universe, that's what's going to be wiped away when, when, when heaven comes and all of creation will be unleashed in a way to become everything that it co- possibly could be. When it can finally reach its potential, it's the next thing in your note sheets. In heaven, life reaches its potential unhindered by sin and decay. Which is hard for us to imagine. Like I said, it's hard for me to imagine what um, the joy of surfing would be if there wasn't some elements of, of risk or danger to it. And yet, and yet, that's something that heaven is going to be like. It really is going to be the kind of place where, you can, where, where life reaches its potential without being threatened by decay and by death. Um, So we're, like I said, Aaron's pregnant, which is awesome. Um, I imagine this when I'm thinking about um, the future, right? Notice it's a dude. Dude, man, if if it's a girl, I'm going to be in trouble. Because this stuff's being recorded, and presumably she might someday find— Okay, never mind. All right. So this is what we think about, right? Okay, we're going to have a baby, and that's going to be great. And then over time— that baby is going to grow up and become, you know, hopefully a, a more or less responsible teenager and, and eventually a man, right? Little baby boy is going to grow up and become a man. In fact, that's the goal of raising kids. We don't raise kids uh, to be entertained. We don't raise kids just to make us feel good. We don't raise kids for any of those. We, re- we raise kids ultimately so that they, we, they can grow into the person that God has them be, right? they reach their potential, but the problem is is that this is not the whole story. It's not just baby to what is that toddler to I don't know quarter baby to teenager to I don't know what the third one is it's something it's a, it's a, it's, a, it's a stage and then and then adulthood right actually it goes like this. Uh-oh. oh no I'm working on that second to last one and I'm only like 36 it's cool Yeah. Do you notice, you know, it's not like it just keeps going. You don't just keep flourishing and reaching potential. You kind of plateau. You you get to your potential. And then it's like, uh, and that's just something we can't imagine the world not being, right? Because we're subject to time. We're subject to decay. We don't know what the universe would be like without it. That's why we spend so much time uh, watching commercials and listening to commercials about how to, how to stave off the end. You know, get those wrinkles gone with this particular facial cream or whatever. Because we know the decay is built in. And that no matter how much we move to flourish, that at some point, that's gonna stop. And yet, what would it be like to imagine a place where the potential just keeps going and life actually reaches it and, and age and time and decay are no longer a part of the process? What would it be like to catch a wave and, when you're, when you're riding it, still have all the thrill and the joy of, of, of riding it and yet not have the, the fear and the, of death and terror and risk? Well, I don't know, but that's what we're told that heaven is like. Let's go back to uh, Revelation. I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. Do you notice that word "city"? New Jerusalem. Fresh. I mean, if we're kind of going with the, the stuff we've already seen, like a fresh, revivified, glorified, but still physical city, New Jerusalem. And presumably coming down out of heaven from God. I mean, imagine that you're an ancient person. Imagine that you're John and you're given a vision of the end. I mean, how else would you conceive of something like this other than to, to think of, of, of a heavenly city like falling down onto earth? But as we've seen, it's more than that because there's a whole new heavens and new earth. But still, I mean, trying to conceptualize what that would be like, you can imagine him, him, him thinking that way. And, and it's so wonderful, it's so beautiful that, that John actually gives up trying to explain what it's like and just, just lapses right into simile and metaphor and says, uh, made ready as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. This is so glorious, it's so wonderful, it's so amazing that, that, that John, uh, he's like, it, it's sort of, sort of like the transformation that happens when, um, when a young girl uh, gets, gets dressed up for her wedding day. And is presented, and it's like she's glorious in a way that on normal days she's not. She's just as beautiful, yes, but there's a glory to it that you only see when she's presented a- a- on the wedding day. Well, what would that mean? Like, what, what kind of city are we talking about? What, what, is, what is this place like? Um, I'd I'd like to go back to Isaiah, Isaiah 65. This is the prophet um, talking about the new heaven and the new earth. He says there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth, and, and guess what? When you're there, they will build houses and live in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They won't build for others to live in nor plant for others to eat. Like the days of a tree will be the days of my people. My chosen will make full use of their handiwork. They won't labor in vain. They won't uh, this labor. not. This is not um, labor for having children. This is working the grounds labor. They won't toil in vain. Nor bear children to a world of horrors because they will be people blessed by Yahweh. They along with their descendants. before Even before they start to call, I'll answer presumably because God's living with them as we saw in Revelation. While they're still speaking, I will hear Is that what you thought you were going to do? You get up to heaven, you know, like, welcome. Hey, there's a plot of land over there. Get to work. And, and yeah, that's kind of what Isaiah says. This is actually God speaking through the prophet. Um, it's interesting because... Um, the, the the sort of the image that that Isaiah is working with is he's working with a people who um, what they're used to is you go and you uh, build a house for somebody else that's your job right or you're a slave or whatever um, you're an exile you know you um, you plant your vineyards and if you're lucky you get to keep a few but for the most part you're handing off the wine to somebody else and and the grapes you um, aren't able to pursue your 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 Gifts and dreams, um, full use of their handiwork, you're not allowed to, to go and do that. You're, you're a slave, or you're a peasant, or you're a whatever. But you don't. You have dreams of becoming an artist. Well, guess what, friend? Those are just going to be dreams. You've got, you know, work to do. You know, the days of a tree will be my people. Um, trees and mountains in, in, in the Old Testament are often thought of as, like, ageless because they last a lot longer than humans, and they seem to, to, to stay the same for very long periods of time, and it's, it's, it's like that. the days of my people will be will be endless. they won't work in vain. That, that, that's the, the, one of the worst things in the world is um, when, you, when you engage in a project, right, and you'll put your heart and soul into it, especially, um, you know, some guys probably in your, in, in your jobs, where you're like, you're just, you throw yourself into it 150%, and then as, as, when you think you're done, you think you've got it, the boss comes along and says, this is garbage, get out of here. And you're like, ugh. Well, that's not going to happen in the new heavens and new earth. You will labor, but not in vain. the idea is, is that, you know, heaven's not this place that's like so otherworldly. I mean, all of these things, when you think about it, I mean, yeah, it's for the ancient world. Like, we don't probably do vineyards as much. Um, but the, the stuff of life, the furniture of life, the work that you do, the projects you engage in, all of that, that that's not going away, Okay? It's not going away that you're going to have a life that's sort of like the life now. It, what the difference is, is that the, all the stuff that, that wrecks life now is going to be wiped away. But you're still going to do the stuff that you do. There still will be an economy. There still will be life and, and, and projects and creation and ideas and, and, and work. It's all going to be there. It's just going to be glorified. It's going to be different than what we, ex- we experience now but you're really going to be expected to get the full use of your handiwork. If you're a sculptor, you're going to be expected to do some sculpting. I don't know what that'll look like exactly, but it's going to be along those lines. And this is the next thing in your note sheets. Heaven is a place of limitless thriving. Projects, challenges, community. Now this is weird to think about because it's hard for us to conceive, and maybe even impossible, of us to conceive of a challenge that... um, that can't fail and yet still is exciting, right? It's like you catch that wave and you're like, if there's no danger there, then there's no thrill. So that's hard for us to understand, and yet that's exactly what um, the Bible says heaven is like. Okay, so what? Let's just say that you buy it. Speaking of which, if you're here and um, you're like, okay, the Bible's neat, I guess, really old and silly, um, why should I trust anything the Bible says about heaven? I would love to talk to you. Please come talk to me about that. I would love to explain to you why I believe the Bible is trustworthy and really does tell us the truth about our future. Um, So let me just make that plug. But so what? Let's just say that's all true. How great is California, right? Huh? Huh? Yeah! Greetings from California. The Golden State! Man, this place is awesome. No, seriously, if you think about it. If you could choose one place to live on Earth, does it get a lot better than South Orange County? I mean, I can't think of any... To live. Now, granted, you might want to go to Hawaii for a week or two. But that place is hot. And it doesn't get cool. You know? Uh... I feel the same way about it in the Caribbean. I've been to the Caribbean, awesome place to visit, but the sunburns are horrible, and, uh, and you're sweating all the time. This is like the only place in the entire universe, well, it's, that might be a bit much, on the earth that I know about that's as temperate. And yet at the same time, like, okay, say you're in the Caribbean and you're like, man, I wish I could get some Asian fusion food. Nope. Not around the corner. Dude, we've got that place, um, Kachina ateca, in the Spectrum. Scott took me there once. Dude, that place is phenomenal. I think it's Italian, but you wouldn't even know because there's so much stuff going on. And it's all right there at your fingertips. The Golden State. I mean, we're rubbing elbows with, you know, Bruce Willis and and Chris Hemsworth. I mean, we're right there in the greatest place in the world. Some things that are awesome about California right here are tax increases. Yeah, um... I don't pay attention because my mom's an accountant, but I think it's something like thirteen point eight percent or something like that, which is totally legitimate when you think about how awesome our, our roads are. <laughs> uh, yeah, we were in, we had um Thanksgiving in uh, Alabama, um, another place you'd never want to live, but fun to visit. And uh, I I had to fill up the rental car with gas, and it was a dollar fifty a gallon. What? What is this? Nineteen ninety seven? <laughs> Are you serious? I, you, I mean, I, I'm i sitting here I, with my car. I'm like, I'm constantly like gauging where I'm going to be when it gets down to the one. I'm trying to be close to Crown Valley so I can get to Costco. Because I know it's going to be 335 a gallon, which is absurd, but it's better than 365. Yeah, isn't that weird? We live in the greatest place on earth. And yet, anytime I talk to anyone about California, eventually people start saying stuff like this. What's the next one? Another awesome thing about California. 42 states have populations smaller than the number of people in poverty in our state. 8.9 million people uh, below the poverty level in the state of California. That is a greater number than the population in 42 states in this union. I could show you some pictures of what that looks like, but it's not fun to look at. Another awesome thing about California, yeah, this is uh, this is Calypso. It's an apartment complex, uh, Alton and Jeffrey, South Irvine. The uh, average apartment when this place opened was eighteen hundred and thirty-six dollars a month. Those of you who are renting, you know the pain. We have one more? Yeah. (laughs) But good news, friends. Even though we have outrageous taxes, even though no one can afford to live, even though there's poverty as far as the eye can see, great news in 2033, after an expenditure of $77 billion, you too will be able to take a bullet train from beautiful Modesto down to Fresno and back. (laughs) Thanks, California. Thanks, Jerry Brown. Good call, buddy. Really looking forward to that. I've, I've been, there's a big Bakersfield shaped hole in my heart that the bullet train is going to fill if I can just survive the 20 years it's going to take for it to be completed. And so anytime I talk to anybody about living in California, what ends up happening is we all start to man, wouldn't it be great to just roll out to Austin, Texas? Oh, outside Charlotte, North Carolina? Yeah. An exurb in Idaho? Mm. Reno, Nevada. Cold, because we're all sitting here, and here we are. We're living in paradise, and yet our eyes are on the place where you know the grass is greener, where the regulations and this that, and we don't think about the weather, you know, you because like we're used to this, and well, there's air conditioning, right? So we're constantly looking to the place where. The grass is greener, where things are finally better. And, and, and all of the stuff that's wrong with this place, the way that this place is set up has been fixed. It's been turned around, and we could just get there. Then we'd finally be satisfied. But of course, if we're honest with ourselves, we know that um, even when you get to Austin, Texas, as awesome as I'm sure it is, there's going to be other things. Because the world that we live in is subject to a kind of sickness, an infection, a decay. So that no matter how good things are here, they're still not right. No matter how good things get, there's still something broken about the place we live. And and the vision that, that Scripture has of heaven is like, walk down the street, live your life, and imagine what it would be like if things were actually made Right. Try to imagine it. Try to imagine for a second what it would be like if we lived in a world that was actually just, where things actually made sense, where the rulers did, look, from what I understand, uh, Xi, President Xi, is now the lifelong president of China, or dictator, or whatever. Okay, imagine that you were, uh, you know, given all the power in China. And you could do whatever you wanted. You still would not be able to create the kind of place where that's set right, that's, that's perfect, that's good. You might be able to make some, some moves in the right direction, but there's something about the world that is so broken and so decayed and so messed up from sin, so fallen, that, that no matter what you did, you would still end up creating a world that's just not right. It's just not good. It's okay, but man, it could be a lot better. Heaven in the scriptures is like, imagine what it would be like if you could finally make it right. Right. If the grass really was greener. If all of the good things, the joys and excitements and, and, and thriving that you have in this life could, could just be extended eternally. The things that you do, the joys that you have could, could be made real and, and, and taken out of them would be the, 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 the decay that we experience here. That's what heaven is. And that's why heaven really is a place on earth. It's a new earth, but it's earth. It's this life. It's just made right. So, uh, yeah, the point being this week, as you're going through life, okay? And, um, you know, we all have our challenges and our struggles, we all have our joys and the things that give us life and, and excite us. As you're going through, stop. In a moment of joy, and think, what would it be like if this joy were perfected? You know, you're, you you get some free time, you go out, you you're, you're surfing, you have a great session, and it's awesome. And you're like, wouldn't it be? What would it be like if this could just keep going? Likewise, you're um, involved in something that's challenging or difficult, it's frustrating, um, and yet you're really into it. It's an exciting project. It's something valuable to you. Think think about what might it be like to be in an experience of life where all of the challenges, all of the difficulties are are sort of somehow removed, and yet the thrill and the joy of, of completing a project remains and is expanded and amplified. If you begin to think like that and take these moments to, to imagine these things, you will begin to so start to get a sense of what heaven is like. And I predict I predict that if we begin to do this and get a sense of what heaven is like, we are going to be way more interested in investing in it. If we say, all right, I have so many hours in a day, and i I got to do X, Y, and Z, I've got to get this stuff out of it. If I'm really going to be putting my heart into something, wouldn't it be great to put my heart and my resources and my thoughts into that? rather than all of this. That's a radical thing, and a lot of people will call you foolish for doing it. But it is what we're being called to. It is the call, the upward call of the gospel, to say, I'm not going to own all the stuff here. I'm going to start owning stuff up there, in a life that is truly thriving, truly real, truly exciting, forever. Now we talked about uh, heaven being a city. want to make a pitch for next week next week, uh, I think the tentative title is "Heaven has Heroes. Uh, we tend to think of heaven as this like place where everybody is just sort of equally happy. I'm going to argue next week that's not true that there's going to be people who are happier in heaven than others um, and'm I'm, again i'm going uh, the, the, the the push is here to say, hey, if you believe this and if this is real and if this is true then maybe it makes sense to give everything that we have to be a part of it. Let's pray. Gracious God and Father, um, set in our hearts and in our minds a vision of your kingdom, a place um, that's just not that different from this one. A place that's like this one and yet freed from decay, freed from sin, freed from fallenness. A place of joyful work and projects. A place of communities of people who thrive together. A place where all the joys that you've set in the heart of humanity are made right and extended into eternity. God, I pray that that vision will capture our hearts, that we'll begin to see it in our day-to-day lives, and that we'll be encouraged to take a step of faith and to begin investing in the world you've created. All this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.